Welcome all. Uh, you're listening to the first edition of our new podcast, uh, Mushawara Connecting ASEAN and Europe. This is an uh, European Parliament uh, in ASEAN sponsored podcast, which is really meant to reflect on, on matters of common interest to, to both Europeans and uh, Southeast Asians. And I'm your host, uh, Frederik Klim. I'm uh, from Germany. I'm based here in uh, Singapore for now a decade. And um, Uh, I'm with the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Right, and I'm your co-host, Amalina Anwar. I'm a Malaysian who is working in Singapore, also here at the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies. Uh, Fred and I are actually both with the Center for Multilateralism Studies here at uh, the School of International Studies. And the center actually conducts research, postgraduate teaching and capacity building training, as well as networking on cooperative multilateralism in the Indo-Pacific region, as well as interregionally with other parts of the world. So the center aims to contribute to international academic and public discourse on regional architecture and order, and aspires to be an international knowledge hub for multilateral and regional cooperation. Amalina and I are doing this podcast really on the behalf of the European Parliament uh, in ASEAN, which is a new entity that has been established within the uh, EU Parliament. The EU Parliament for our perhaps non-EU listeners is the only um, EU institution that is directly elected by the people of the European Union and it acts as one of the legislative uh, bodies um, in cooperation with the other institutions of the European Union. It's important Uh, forum for political debate um, and bringing really to a broader public uh, of Europe the uh, policy ideas being discussed and uh, bringing forward the EU-wide uh, discourse. So this new sub-entity that has now been established is European Parliament in ASEAN and it's dedicated to foster relationships um, between Southeast Asia and Europe, both I think predominantly in their parliamentary, but also in their civil society uh, dimensions. And now, as um, many of you listeners will be aware, that Europe's focus is increasingly shifting towards uh, towards the Indo-Pacific. And now the European Parliament really sees this as an opportune moment, perhaps even an overdue moment, if you if if you want to if you want to uh, put it a bit more bluntly, to further its relations with Southeast Asia. And uh, the EP in ASEAN team will soon be posted here physically in, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, not exactly in Singapore, where Amalina and I are sitting. Uh, I think it's still an uh, open discussion where exactly there will be in the ASEAN region, but they will be here uh, very soon. And they already are from Brussels now uh, working closely with the uh, ASEAN Interparliamentary Assembly, IPA, as well as a national parliament of the ASEAN member states and uh, various uh, uh, parts of civil society. You can actually find them on, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, um, in Instagram uh, as EP or European Parliament in ASEAN. And you can sign up to the newsletter and be informed about their events and, and, and programs. So this podcast series now we are hosting uh, here Uh, is an important part of uh, their outreach effort. And we thought as an introductory podcast, it would be really excellent to discuss uh, the natural uh, partner idea. EU and ASEAN um, moved from, from interregional relationships really to a very formal strategic partnership, which has uh, recently been established. And uh, Amalina and I would uh, like to extend a warm welcome uh, to all of you listeners. Uh, we really hope that this podcast 
can contribute a little a bit more to closer people-to-people -people and parliamentary links between the two regions. For those of us who are perhaps not familiar with the word, Mushawara actually implies understanding and finding common ground. And in, in light of that spirit, this podcast also seeks to help us all better understand each other and navigate each other's concerns from a region-to-region -region perspective. And for this week's first episode, we are going to introduce EU-ASEAN relations and basically analyze the historical milestones between the two regions, including the most recent strategic partnership, and maybe delve a bit into what lies ahead for these two regions. And for this, we have two fantastic experts on EU-ASEAN relations here for the listeners today. Uh, welcome first to Mr. Reinhard Butikofer. Ryan, Mr. Butikofer is one of the co-chairs of European Greens, and he is an MEP for the German Green Party. He also serves as the chair of, of the European Parliament delegation for relations with China and sits on the EP Committee on Foreign Affairs. So he's got a long and, ex, uh, long and illustrious career in German-European politics uh, that has taken him um, into studying and analyzing um, ASEAN and Southeast Asia too. And we are very glad to have us here, uh, to have him here with us today uh, as our first guest in this introductory podcast. And he is dialing in virtually from Berlin. And no less important is our second guest, Dr. Yu Lei Hui, who is with, her, with us here in Singapore. So Dr. Lei Hui is actually the director of the European Union Center in Singapore. And she teaches European politics part-time here at several large universities in the country. And she is one of the one of Southeast Asia's foremost experts on the European Union. So very warm welcome to you both. Thank you very much for dialing in from Berlin. I know you've just been a part of the new uh, coalition negotiations in, uh, in, in, in Berlin for the now not to be installed new German government. So, so you've been very busy and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, sir. Um, my pleasure, my, uh, my pleasure. And it's a, an even greater pleasure to do this with Dr. Yeo. Mr. Bütikofer, would you, as a politician, would you mind giving us a brief overview for, for our listeners of your involvement with uh, ASEAN you had over, over the years and your work uh, in the European Parliament, as far as ASEAN and Southeast Asia uh, uh, is concerned, just a bit briefly run us through your your experience here with with ASEAN. Well, formally, I'm a substitute member of the ASEAN delegation of the European Parliament, but beyond that, I have. Um, in the past uh, drafted two reports addressing the relationship between the EU and the ASEAN community um, that were adopted uh, by the European Parliament. I think that was in 2013 and 2017. And um, I have, um, traveled somewhat in the region. I have attended several Shangri-La dialogue fora. So I have a certain uh, um, um, relationship uh, with, uh, with what brews in, in, in that region. And uh, I I'm, I'm, have been very interested to help also uh, promoting uh, maybe a parliamentary dimension to that relationship. Uh, yeah, that's really excellent. Your your name is actually quite a known entity here in the region. 
And in particularly, unfortunately, as far as China is concerned lately, your, your name was, was being mentioned quite a few times here. And then uh, um, it's excellent to know that uh, you are not just a China expert, but also uh, uh, a Southeast Asia expert and involved with uh, Southeast Asia. So from, from your, I guess, from your experience, from your feelings, from your political uh, perspective on this relationships, on, on the EU-ASEAN partnership, what, what do you think, what does it mean for the two regions to have this kind of partnership? I mean, it's a very long-standing partnership, but what is not necessarily only the exact content, but a, perhaps a broader perspective on why this uh, uh, partnership matters. And of course, importantly, as you as a, direct, uh, uh, a directly elected member of parliament, how does it affect the lives of, of, of citizens? What is the EU-ASEAN partnership um, why, well, how, in, in what way is it relevant for the people of, of, of the two regions from your perspective? I would, I would say that the intensity and the scope of our relationship is vastly underestimated, at least in most parts of the European public. Um, the fact uh, that we have very intense trading relations, the fact that we have concluded several um, free trade agreements, the fact that the European Union put together is the major investor in the ASEAN region, all of that is barely public knowledge. Um, so so I think there, there is a need to, to educate um, our, our public and, and also decision makers about the relevancy of this relationship. That's number one. And uh, I, would, I would argue that this um, relationship will become more relevant for two reasons. One being that uh, uh, many of the countries in the ASEAN uh, community are obviously countries that are rising. Singapore has been an international player for quite some time, but other countries are gaining in strength and relevancy, and that will continue. So it, it will be even more important. And secondly, both the ASEAN region and the European Union have been subscribing in um, important respects with regard to their approach to international relations to similar principles. We're both adepts of the principle of multilateralism, international rule of law. Uh, we're, we're both uh, um, communities, notwithstanding all the distinctions that should be made between the two communities, but we do share uh, this uh, approach. We, we both have a very strong inclination towards solving uh, issues in a peaceful way, in a negotiated way. And um, we're, we're both confronted uh, with uh, the uh, recent development of uh, a strong uh, hegemonic um, competition between the United States on one hand and China on the other, and neither the ASEAN community nor the European Union um, will um, uh, adopt a, um, a strategy that, that is built on the assumption that we have an equal distance to, 
those two superpowers, but still we we both I would say share the um, the inclination or the the hope or the ambition uh, that uh, other countries, smaller countries like ourselves. Uh, should also continue playing a role internationally. Uh, and, and that's why we want to defend um, um, multilateralism, international institutions, and rule of law. So there's a lot in common, I would say. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I think we can perhaps get into the uh, geopolitical competition uh, uh, again a bit later on. So that, that's really an excellent rundown already. Thank you so much for that. I would like to bring in um, um, my good friend, um, uh, Lewi, Dr. Joe. Uh, Lewi, thank you. I know you're in between meetings, so I really appreciate that you take the time today uh, 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 of your busy schedule and speak to us as well. Um, you are, of course, uh, the authority on the European Union in uh, Singapore, if not in, in all of Southeast Asia. So um, um, I would like to ask you, about this natural partner thing, right? We've we've heard it quite a lot, and we've read it actually in published documents about the uh, EU and ASEAN being being natural partners. And on the surface, to somebody who is perhaps not so acquainted with either of the two regions, only one um, would think, well, they are relatively different uh, uh, kinds of organization, right? Procedural terms and so forth. So the question is really, what is so natural about this partnership, right? Where, where does it come from? This natural partnership, if they are actually on the uh, per se so different. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Fred, for inviting me to uh, participate in this podcast. I think, actually, uh, doc, um, Mr. Butikhofer has said something that uh, alludes to this, but let me try again. We know, indeed, EU and ASEAN are two very different organisations, but we are natural partners because of the following uh, characteristics. I think both EU and ASEAN pro took pride you know, uh, in being norm-setters. Although we can say, well, our norms and principles uh, may slightly differ, but we pride ourselves as norm uh, setters, right? And we both put the centrality of a peace and development as our key goal. And I think those two characteristics really uh, make us natural partners. Of course, as uh, 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 has, uh, Mr. Butikofer has said, I think we also uh, both believe in the importance of uh, uh, open, inclusive dialogue as the main instrument uh, to achieve uh, understanding and cooperation, right? Uh, also, both regional organizations have benefited uh, from an open and free, from open and free trade. So in that sense, we are natural partners in also supporting a rule-based uh, multilateral uh, trading order. Mm, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, um, uh, uh, I think this, this external context is really is really important to appreciate right for the for the uh, for the raison d'etre i guess of both organizations um but of course uh, being mindful of the different uh, uh procedures here uh, that each of the organization actually adopts when it comes to making those kind of rules right but i i really appreciate uh, uh, your opinion on the uh, externalities yeah uh, I agree. I think that that was a really fantastic rundown of the similarities, but also the context that um, is really motivating uh, the the deepening of this partnership. Uh, and turning back to Mr. Butikofer for a bit, uh, you did mention that you were the rapporteur for the European Union uh, re report on ASEAN, and uh, you you must have had um, a lot of experience and your own observations um, on the state of these relations. So. Uh, I would like to ask what aspects of 
EU-ASEAN diplomatic relations, do you think that the European Union handles well, or perhaps some aspects that it might not handle so well, and uh, vice versa for ASEAN? And what is the remedy for that in that view? Well, I would say that the, the fact that we can now celebrate the first anniversary of our strategic relationship between ASEAN and the EU um, is, of course, a joyful uh, event, but uh, with a, a longer memory, we um, have to reckon with the fact that it took the European Union quite a while to to find the right approach there. Um, uh, we uh, we bungled this relationship um, to some degree for a number of years uh, because instead of just straightforwardly pursuing the strategic partnership, some European leaders try to tie that to a certain conditionality, which didn't really make any sense. And, and unfortunately, that held us back uh, for a while. Um, we're, we're now overcoming this, and, and this is, of course, very good. And also, uh, I think we, um, we may have mishandled somewhat. And, and being a Green, I know to some degree what I talk about, uh, we may have mishandled somewhat the, the context between uh, bilateral relationships with individual countries and the um, plurilateral relationship between uh, the communities, uh, particularly when it comes to, to palm oil. I, I think we should have been more circumspect in addressing these issues that have a particular relevancy to some of the, uh, of the ASEAN countries. The one uh, now we're doing better, I would say. And the one thing that I would hope for very much, which has been on uh, on and off the agenda uh, over almost 20 years, um, I would be strongly in favor of pursuing a region-to-region uh, -region free trade agreement between ASEAN and the EU. And um, I... I think we should put more emphasis behind that goal. Uh, if possible, uh, to Lehi, uh, could I ask you the same question? Um, again, uh, what aspects of EU-ASEAN diplomatic relations do you think the EU handles well or not so well? And uh, perhaps you might also be able to speak on you know, the aspects that ASEAN maybe uh, bungles a bit um, in this particular partnership. Well, I think um, um, Mr. Butikofo has said most of uh, what uh, he lays the, 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 the groundwork for, you know, some of this misunderstanding. I think uh, for quite a while, I think that is perhaps uh, uh, in the earlier days, I would say most of the uh, problems we uh, perhaps evolve, emerge because of our different understanding of how the organizations work, right? So now that we have come to the stage where we are all uh, sort of face up to the re reality and accepting who we are in that sense, accepting each other as as a, a, a unique organization with its own uh, uh, 
dynamics with its own problems and own structure that are very different. So with that common kind of uh, uh, acknowledgement about our differences, I think we have become much more able to navigate them and to find common grounds and convergence in our interests uh, to move forward. And I think uh, so. That to me is a is a most positive sign in terms and and uh, and for you know being able to upgrade our relationship to a strategic partnership. As for where ASEAN can can do better, I think uh, we need to be less sensitive about all these issues when the uh, when the uh, EU talk about human rights and and democracy because we don't don't forget that in the ASEAN Charter. We also expire in that sense, right? It's in the charter uh, talking about uh, ASEAN as a region that would like to promote and protect human rights and democracy. So I think we should be less sensitive and be more open in uh, in uh, discussing our differences in the different approaches uh, or maybe even different understanding of what democracy means. Or is it a means or an ends and things like that? So we shouldn't be too defensive about that. And, and for the EU, I think what I, as we said, we have come away from uh, what I wrote about not to be sort of a trap by one single issue, to take the to take the relationship in a much more comprehensive manner and not make the mistake of like one issue, like in the older days uh, when Myanmar, you know, where the issue of Myanmar uh, impacted our relationship. So not to be what I use that term singularity trap, you know, uh, let one issue dominate the whole relationship. And I think uh, this is uh, what I think in, in that sense, we have moved forward and, and, and hopefully will continue to strengthen our partnership. Yeah, thank you. I think um, if, if I can make a quick comment and have a little follow-up question from Mr. Butikov as well, if I may. Uh, I think the sensitivities is really, I, I think it's important to to realize that this is really a two-way street, right? I mean, um, uh, Lewi very kindly says um, uh, ASEAN, the ASEAN region and, and, and uh, policymakers here should be less sens sensitive. And I guess this this is true, but it also works for the European Union, I, I, I guess, and being sensitive towards, towards the respective other um, and I think palm oil was actually just mentioned by, by Mr. Butikov, and I think that's a great example for where actually correct and understandable, perhaps bureaucratic processes and also a normative uh, aspect. Um, the European Union is very much a normative a, a normative actor, and this is a, this is a good thing. Right? But where where these kind of processes perhaps interfere with relationships, and and I was going to ask Mr. Butikofer if he could perhaps, if he knows, uh, give us an update on where this this palm oil issue now now is, whether this has actually been now dealt with, um, and also if he knows where um this region to region free trade agreement is at what stage is it kind of like a pie in the sky at the moment or is it actually something that 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 we can really seriously consider in in the foreseeable future um if you have any updates on this that you can share with us uh, mr butikofa at all we're now in dialogue mode which wasn't always the case uh, there there uh, was a phase in, in the relationship when either side would just sort of be on the, in the send mode and, and, and now we are in the dialogue mode. So I think that's a great achievement. And with regard to the um, um, region to region um, uh, free trade agreement, um, uh, I would want to note that the European Parliament has um, 
expressed its strong support for that idea several times. Uh, so uh, this institution to which I belong has taken a very um, forthright stance in that regard. Uh, this is not uh, fully shared uh, by all the other uh, the other institutions and and also from what I hear the um, response that we get to that uh, idea from the uh, from the other side is not always completely consistent if you allow me to say this um, there is obviously a a kind of uh, um, political contradiction that has to be addressed. We have very in-depth um, agreements with uh, Singapore and uh, Vietnam, for instance. Uh, and of course, if you want to do a region-to-region -region FTA that includes all the ASEAN members like Laos and uh, Cambodia, for instance, uh, you could not possibly um, uh, over the next let's say 10 years or so uh, probably uh, gets to a similar in-depth uh, economic relationship that's just because of the economic realities so would there be enough support for a more shallow um, region to region agreement which i think would be would still be a good thing not just for the economic uh, um, um, reason uh, for doing that, but also for geopolitical reasons. I, I do have the impression that that has not been fully sorted out on both sides. I think it's true that because of the economic realities of, uh, of the countries in ASEAN, it's going to be take a while for a really comprehensive and deep or so-called high-quality EU-ASEAN FTA. But from the experience of uh, 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 you know, negotiating for the comprehensive uh, air transport agreement. I think we could take that kind of sectorial, functional approach, perhaps by sectors and sectors uh, 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 in the interregional context, and that builds confidence. And I think, and it can act as the building blocks towards finally a very comprehensive uh, EU ASEAN FTA. Oh, this is actually a very excellent suggestion. Uh, uh, if there is no copyright on this, I, I shall propose this here every now and again. That's great. I, I think this idea with building blocks is it's is, is a really, really good one. Um I also agree with the 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 perhaps proceeding with a rather shallow uh, FDA first. We we see this here in the region at the moment quite strongly proliferating, right? Uh, FDAs that are not that uh great in depth. Uh, we can of course think of uh, uh, RCEP or the new CPTPP right. as well. So I, I, I think this is perhaps where the future is that they don't need to regulate everything into the very uh, smallest detail at first, but you can move gradually. Okay, uh, I actually have a question to 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 both of you. Pretty much the same question, and then perhaps we can start with uh, uh, Lewi first as the, the the first respondent here. Uh, the the recent establishment of the or I guess we could call it elevation of relations between ASEAN and EU to uh, quote-unquote strategic partnership, right? Um, but the question Amelina and I are already asking us here is, well, I mean, why now? Is there any particular meaning behind the timing or is it just how long it took to, to, to kind of um, um, finalize this? Or is there a specific kind of like trigger, a trigger mo moment? Um, and also what are your general expectations and hopes I think it's too early really to 
deeply evaluate the the consequence of the strategic partnerships. But what both of you, perhaps maybe you start, what is your hope and, and, and what do you think is the most significant obstacle to bring this even further uh, um, uh, from, from here? Yeah, I think Mr. Butikofer alluded earlier about the changing geopolitical climate, right? I think that is one of the major external, external reasons or driving force for the EU and ASEAN to upgrade its uh, partnership. Uh, we know that, you know, with the tension and both, I think ASEAN and EU value their strategic autonomy. Or for the ASEAN case, we call it ASEAN centrality. And the EU, of course, talked a, a lot, uh, especially in the last couple of years, about strategic autonomy. So I think from, from that point uh, of view, from that perspective, both start to see their, their different dialogue partners in the Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific, as it's called now, uh, with more, uh, with new eyes, put it this way, right? So ASEAN start to see dialogue partners such as Japan and, and the EU as a uh, important hedging partners uh, in this uh, geopolitical uh, in in the in the context of this geopolit geopolitical tension we know from the uh, isis yusof ishak 2021's state of southeast asia survey that uh, indeed both the japan and eu uh, were majority of the asean respondents uh, 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 quoted or least uh, japan and the eu as the the most important hedging partners in this uh, geopolitical uh, uh, competition. And, and we don't want, as I said, we all both do not want to be forced to, uh, to choose. Of course, we can say we are closer to one or another partner, but I think both uh, regional organizations or both actors are very clear that we do not want to be forced to choose. Hence, we need to work together uh, with other dialogue partners to deepen cooperation and perhaps in some way, uh, if we can't help mitigate the tensions, uh, but to shift the narrative in this region from just focus on so-called conflict and confrontation to one that talk about confidence building, rebuilding trust in multilateral institutions and uh, cooperation. And I think that's very important. That's what I hope that the strategic partnership would really meant for uh, to bring a broader uh, 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 perspective to this whole region in a, in the sense of shifting narratives, right, from one that focus a lot on this geopolitical tension to one to say that there are many other issues and challenges that we face and we really need to work together to confront these challenges. And I think in that context, I also have a suggestion that uh, perhaps uh, EU and ASEAN as strategic partners could work together to revitalize the uh, ASEAN Regional Forum uh, I think it's important that this regional forum, which is one of the most open, inclusive uh, uh, and, and the earliest uh, dialogue forum to bring about political security dialogue, to really re-energize uh, this multilateral forum uh, so that uh, you know we could uh, again rebuild this confidence in, in multilateralism. And one of the suggestions is perhaps, we know that ARF is currently only chaired by ASEAN, Perhaps in that context, we should bring in EU as a co-chair or other uh, dialogue partners, right? whether Japan or other participants in the dialogue. So that's one way we could do to, to make uh, the, the dialogue even more inclusive and have a much more broader uh, engagement with the different dialogue partners. Well, excellent. We have a, 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 a clear policy proposal here on our first introductory podcast. That, that's really great stuff, Larry. Thank you very much. I hope um, um, 
it reaches the right addressees here with uh, with our podcast. Um, Mr. Bittiger, would, would you like to add anything on the strategic partnership to what we just covered? The basis of um, my thinking in this regard is also influenced by a memory. I recall the second half of the 70s when the um, uh, hegemonic competition between the United States and the Soviet Union forced forced almost any and every international actor to uh, sort of allow those those two superpowers to, to limit very much their freedom of action. And I think it it is not uh, a positive goal to, to maybe get into a similar um, set up again. So so I think we we need to defend the realm of multilateralism, shared uh, rules-based order uh, in the trade um, uh, dimension, of course, but also uh, in, in, in other dimensions. And and therefore, building strong institutions and, and um, <coughs> cooperating <coughs> within those frameworks is so important. And I would like to add two elements uh, to that from the European side. We have just seen published the new Global Gateway Initiative by the European Union that addresses very much um, the, uh, the Asian uh, macro region, of course. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, the, the fact that there has been a common, a joint ministerial statement between ASEAN and the EU uh, about uh, connectivity cooperation could serve as a good basis for possibly also creating a connectivity partnership similar to the one that the EU already has with Japan or India. Um, so that could be one um, dimension. Uh, and uh, in, in that same context, I also want to highlight that the European Union uh, and Germany and France, uh, as two important members of that union, have come forward with their own Indo-Pacific strategy. And when you look into the um, coalition accord that is meant to describe the, the policies of the newly um, created German government, you will see that there is much more attention um, attributed to the Indo-Pacific region, including uh, uh, the principle of ASEAN centrality, than you would have found in earlier such documents. So I think we're we're not just having a strategic partnership and that's it. We're trying, we're working on developing on that basis. Switching gears, but still on this uh, topic of maybe um, clearing up uh, the the motivations and the the operational uh, workings of these two very dynamic, very complex institutions going forward. Uh, I wonder, Mr. Butikofer, if you could uh, talk to us a bit about maybe a common misunderstanding or inaccuracy when it comes to EU-ASEAN relations. Um, perhaps um, in particular among EU politicians and staffers? I'm not sure that um, it would be fair to put everybody in the same box. Um, 
clearly there there have been um, quite a few leaders who who have uh, been engaged uh, with ASEAN more than others. Uh, I recall uh, that, for instance, the uh, former HRVP attended uh, the Shangri-La uh, Dialogue Forum once and 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 addressed uh, the attendance there. So, so I think um, being self-critical, we we should not uh, um, throw out the baby with the bathwater. So, so. Uh, uh, I still feel that we are in in our relations with uh, with a the Asian uh, region. Uh, we have been focused on China too much for too long a time. Uh, I would say that this misperception that China um, is the one big. Um, um, actor that that we have to to put front and center that has uh, darkened to some degree um, our understanding of the rest um, uh, uh, and that does not just include ASEAN it also includes Japan and India and other uh, partners uh, I don't think we have attributed enough attention uh, in 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 the uh, negotiations that we had uh, informing the new the new government we came to the to the conclusion that in germany we dearly lack a lot of asia competency not just china competency but also asia competency and we have to invest more in in sort of um, dedicating more attention uh, to 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 this region, I think that is probably uh, the 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 area where we um, can make the biggest uh, difference. Uh, sort of realizing that uh, the countries that we speak of here are um, very are going. Uh, even today, but even more in the future, going to be very important partners. And we have to understand better um, uh, the realities from which they operate. I just want to clarify here for our Southeast Asian listeners this, that the HRVP Mr. Bütikofer is uh, talking about is the high representative for foreign affairs and security policy, I think it's called. It's the, the current uh, office holder is uh, uh, Jose Borrell. And um, uh, they, he is now the de facto representative of uh, common foreign and security policy of the European Union. Uh, just to clarify for our non-EU uh, uh, geeky uh, listeners. Uh, I wonder if turning to Dr. Li Hui, um, what is one thing that someone must keep in mind about the EU and ASEAN to better read the pulse of these institutions and their relations as they evolve? Well, I think uh, sometimes uh, when looking at uh, our interregional relations and all that, we tend to neglect the domestic factors. I think in recent years, we have seen uh, you know, uh, an increasingly sort of, um, uh, we have witnessed how domestic politics uh, and domestic discontent can spill over to foreign policy. For a long time, I think in, in particularly in Southeast Asia and in many places, we always think that you know the focus on uh, 
there's a there's a sort of a, a clear dividing line between foreign policy and domestic policy. But we are seeing that this is becoming much more intertwined. So I think uh, you know the diffusion of power and the uh, and the need for uh, elected leaders, uh, even in countries that are not perfect democracies, but for elected leaders to respond to their to their citizens, I think uh, have increasingly change the dynamics uh, within EU and ASEAN. And that's, I think, something we need to be cognizant of. Um, and yeah, so I, I thought I would also add to what uh, Mr. Butikova has said about the, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of focus on ASEAN in the earlier days and the, the sort of obsession with China on the EU's part for many years. And we could say similarly in ASEAN, unfortunately, we also have that. We, we tend to underestimate the importance of EU in this region because we are so obsessed with China and the US, right? So I think we all need to correct that and see each other now as, uh, as real equal partners where we can work together to really uh, not let uh, the, 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 the tension between China and the U.S. Dom dominate everything in the world. So we, of course, we know it's going to have spillover. It's going to be a, a important uh, uh, matter. But I think uh, there's much more need for what we call whether it's small powers, middle powers, and interregional and and regional organizations. Really, uh, 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 what uh, we, we always call to to exercise more agency in shaping our own future. Uh, and that's where I think the partnership between these different actors uh, become much more important. Thank you. Yeah, I think if, uh, if 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 anything, the focus on China is becoming stronger and stronger. Right, the the the, the single occupation of pretty much every foreign policy uh, uh, discussion seems to be China these days. So, thank you, um, uh, Lei Wei and Mr. Butigo for for reminding us. I guess that there are th that there is value in diversifying perspective and value in partnerships. Uh, uh, beyond that sort of binary framework of 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 international international relations. So with this, I would uh, I would bring it to a close, and then we'll leave it to our listeners to really digest this uh, a tour de force through EU ASEAN relations, which you've just given us. I, I really appreciate your insights and even some policy recommendations and ideas going forward. But if you allow me to to add one note um, that I um, that I want to to contribute also in the last report that that uh, the European Parliament adopted about EU ASEAN relations. Um, the parliament also supported my proposal that we should invest into um, a um, young leaders uh, exchange format. Uh, and that was indeed done in 2018. And at the time, the parliament said, if it is successful, let's repeat it. And um, unfortunately, even though it was successful, it hasn't been repeated. So I would like to use this opportunity to call all, on all the decision makers on either side to reconsider whether this kind of future-oriented people-to-people format should not be revitalized. Thank you. Uh, thank you with this great call. I can uh, share with uh, you and our listeners that I was, in fact, one of the organizers of this Young Leadership uh, Forum we had in 2018. And I have indeed myself uh, uh, pushed for this to be repeated. Yeah. So excellent. Thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, uh, both of your both of your time and your excellence, uh, excellent insights uh, with us. And I would say 
Lewi, you have a fantastic evening in, in, in Singapore. I know you need to run off to another meeting. And Mr. Butikofer, I wish you a fantastic day ahead in uh, the early morning hours of Berlin now. Thank you very much for joining us to both of you, from me and from... Alina, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, dear listeners, uh, this was really a fantastic uh, run through EU-ASEAN relations with our two guests here. Uh, I'm still sweating with excitement about the policy recommendations we just got. Um, we now move to our uh, almost final section, which will be a regular feature. Um, it's called What's Worth Your Time? And uh, Amalina and I will just very briefly share with you something that we are reading, that we are listening, that we are watching. Uh, at the moment that may be of interest, of course, in the context of EU-ASEAN relations, but also perhaps in the broader uh, context of understanding either Europe, understanding Asia, or understanding how those two regions link together. So uh, perhaps I hand over to Ana 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 Amalina to start. Uh, um, Amalina, what are you watching, reading, following, listening? Yeah, thanks, Fred. So for me this week, what I would recommend perhaps is listening to BBC's More or Less podcast. And what the podcast is basically about is that it takes a deep dive into statistics and data and really shows you how data can be, well, I won't say manipulated, but I think framed um, in, in various ways that uh, to, uh, yeah, that it's framed in, in various ways to uh, highlight or, or reinforce certain narratives about the world. And I think that uh, more than ever, because we live in an age where a lot of policymaking relies on data and statistics, it's really important to have um, the ability to analyze uh, and look at these statistics a bit more critically so that we do not necessarily, you know, get caught up in things like, for instance, fake news or some such. And I'm currently watching or re-watching, I should say, um, a... Uh, documentary series from the 1990s. I think it was 1992 it was recorded. It's a uh, freely available on YouTube. It's called The Pacific Century. And it's an uh, American perspective, I guess, over 10 different episodes on the development of the Pacific Rim countries. So they have uh, uh, episodes on the Meiji Revolution in Japan and then how uh, the constitution of Japan was, was written after uh, the Second World War. And I, I, I'm currently watching this with great interest because I'm currently teaching a master's course on the evolution of security orders and, and multilateralism in, um, in the Asia Pacific. And I have to teach for three hours and I don't want to bore my students with my, my lecturing for three hours. So I'm always looking for interesting documentaries to watch as well. And these ones are really fantastic if you want to understand the evolution, the historical evolution of how um, security is being organized here in this region. And in the time of Netflix, uh, as we are uh, in the early days of the 21st century with high quality HD cameras, and uh, and sound bites. It's very fantastic to watch something from the early '90s, um, which reminds me really of uh, how old I am. Uh, okay, so uh, we bring this uh, episode to a close with um, announcing our next topic, which uh, will be on surprise, surprise, COVID. So this will really be. Uh, episode two, this will really be the first time where we go into one very specific aspect of the relationships. And in this case, unfortunately, I must say it has to be the pandemic because this is what is on everybody's minds. So we really evaluate um, 
the impacts uh, of the pandemic on Europe and, and Southeast Asia, how uh, this has been managed on the regional level and perhaps also interregional assistance that has been uh, provided. Of course, I guess uh, tourism is always on everybody's mind, but there is a lot more uh, to it too. Okay, so with this, uh, thank you all listeners for tuning in. We are very pleased to have you with us and uh, we are very much looking forward to welcoming you on our next episode on, I said it before, the pandemic. So I wish you very well until then and goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.